If you've got a Bible, open it up. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. And before we begin, let's pray. Our sins are many, but they're not just many. They are massive in their magnitude. We have not done little sins, not even lots of little sins. We have sinned against the greatness of your infinite majesty. And so, Father, we pray that you would have mercy on us. Would you drive us to Jesus tonight? That's what we want to happen, for you to drive us towards your Son, in whom we find mercy. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're doing a series on the good news, the gospel. What is the gospel? And last week, we gave four words to act as signposts so that you don't lose your way. When you're thinking about what the gospel is, when you're trying to share it with someone else, how do you start and find your way through? There are lots of things we could talk about when we're trying to love someone with our words. But these four words are signposts, guideposts, to help us remember the gospel. And they're God, man, Christ, response. And I said last week, it's important. Memorize these. This is not the only framework for sharing the gospel, but it's a helpful one. God, man, Christ, response. So last week we talked about God. We opened up Isaiah 40 and we saw that he's massive. He's the creator. And this is where you want to start when you're sharing the gospel. You want to start with God. You've got to give context for our problem, which we're going to get to this week. You've got to share when you're talking about God that he's creator, he's designer, he's all good, wonderful. We're accountable to him. And then you've got to move on to man, mankind. And this is the bad news. I don't know if you heard those words, God, man, Christ, response, and you thought, yes, we get to talk about mankind. That's the good news. This is the bad news. We're explaining tonight why we need good news. We've dishonored God. We've disobeyed him. And so we are separated from him. And he's going to punish sin in hell. That's why we need to be saved. So we're going to talk about tonight. God last week. This week we talk about man, mankind. This is the bad news. And we're going to look at Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 to talk about the bad news. There are lots of texts you could go to, but this is one that's going to help us see what our problem is. So here we go. Ephesians 2. If you've got a Bible, open it up. This text will be on the screen behind me the whole time. We're just working through three verses. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I'll read it, and then we'll dive in. This is Paul speaking the words of God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." is God's word. 
So here's the main idea from this text. The main idea is that all of us are dead in our sin, and so we are all under God's wrath. That's the main idea from these three verses. All of us, every one of us is dead in our sins, and so we are all under God's just wrath, his punishment. The way we're going to work through this text is we're going to list our condition, mankind's condition, without Jesus as we see it in these three verses. There are four things we're going to see, four things we're going to list off as we look at mankind's condition without Jesus. And here we go. Here's the first one. Without Jesus, we see from this text that we are spiritually dead. Verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So when Paul says you were dead in your sins, the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, does he mean you were physically dead? No. He says there are death in trespasses and sins were how we walked. So we're walking around while we're dead in our sins. You can skip down and look at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived, so we're living this way, but we're dead. Paul's not talking about physical death here. He's talking about spiritual death. Do you guys remember what God said to Adam when he was commanding Adam not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. He said this. This is Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord is speaking to Adam, and he says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, Adam and Eve did eat. Did their bodies die that day? No. They began to die. Decay entered the world. They would eventually physically die. But God said, that day you die. And they did. Their souls died. They died spiritually right away. And because we are their children, all of us, are born spiritually dead towards God. That's our condition. You just notice in this passage, there are no exceptions to this. Paul says, you all lived this way. He's talking to Christians, and he's saying, you guys weren't a special category of neutral people. He's saying, no, you, Christians, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. No one is born spiritually alive. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter what your parents' religion is or your ethnicity. All of us are in the same boat. We are born spiritually dead. That's how we come into this world. And here are your two problems if you're born spiritually dead. The first is that you are cut off from life. Now, That might seem obvious. If you're dead, you don't have life. What Paul's saying here is that you don't have access to life. You don't have access to any lasting joy or goodness or fullness. You're cut off from it because, as Ephesians 4.18 will say, the same book, 
just a couple chapters later, because we are separated, alienated from the life of God. That's Ephesians 4.18. We are alienated from the life of God. That's what it means to be dead in your sins. You're dead in your sins because you have been cut off from the life of God. And it's clear from this text that what does that is sin. Sin is what cuts us off from the life of God. Sin is what cuts us off from any real, lasting, meaning, joy, significance, satisfaction, and goodness. Sin is what does that because it cuts us off from God. We are dead. Now, this is our big problem, okay? When you're talking about mankind and presenting the gospel, this is the big issue. Because last week, we said God is glorious, There's no one like this great God. He is where goodness and life are found. It's in Him. But the problem is, you can't have Him. We've been cut off because of our sin. We're we're dead. Our disobedience has cut us off. Do you see that? Sons of disobedience. We've disobeyed, and so we can't have God. It's our first problem, being dead in sin. But it also means this. When Paul says we're dead in our sins, he's also conveying the fact that we are completely helpless and unable to save ourselves. A corpse, a dead body, doesn't need a doctor. It needs a resurrection. And many of us think that our sin is like a spiritual cold, got a little bit of a problem. We'll go to Jesus. He'll give us medicine, help make us better. And Paul's saying it's worse than that. It's worse than that. You know, even even people who are having heart attacks, most of them can drive themselves to the hospital. They can sign in. They can register their insurance. I'm sure the doctors here would not recommend that probably shouldn't drive yourself to the hospital if you're having a heart attack. You can do those things. Most people can. They'll die if they don't get help from a doctor, but they can get themselves to the help that they need. But dead people don't drive. Dead people don't register their insurance. They don't do anything to get themselves better. And I think that's Paul's point here. A dead soul cannot do anything to save themselves. A dead soul cannot please God. We're cut off from him. You can't do a single thing to get a single sin forgiven. We cannot save ourselves. And that's that's God's point and Paul's point here. We need him. Not to revive us. Not to give us strength. Not to give us spiritual medicine. We need him to raise our souls from the dead. That's the first thing we see, is that without Jesus, we are spiritually dead. Here's the second thing we see from this text. Without Jesus, we are conformed to the world and Satan. Verses 1 through 2 again. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world 
following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul's saying, while we're dead in our sins, while we're spiritually dead, we're following the course that this entire world walks on. And not only that, it's a path that Satan himself has set. Do you see that? We're following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Sometimes in the New Testament, he's called the ruler of this world. John chapter 12 calls him that. Second Corinthians calls him the God, little g, of this world. And what those are conveying is that he exercises tremendous authority in this world to deceive unbelievers. 1 John 5.19 says it this way. John says, we know that we're from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's a sweeping statement. And Paul here is agreeing with it. He's saying, this is the prince of the power of the air. Now, when he says that, power of the air, what he means is that Satan exercises tremendous influence over the spiritual atmosphere of this world. That's what he means by air. The spiritual atmosphere of the entire world is under Satan's deception. You can follow Satan without ever having heard the name Satan. That's an implication from this verse. You can follow Satan without ever having heard his name. You don't have to make sacrifices to him. You don't have to bow down to an image of him. You just have to be disobedient towards God. According to this text, that's what it means to follow him. You see that? The sons of disobedience. Those are the ones he's at work in. It's all he cares about is your disobedience. Satan really doesn't care if you make sacrifices to him. What he cares about is that you are disobedient towards God. The reason he wants you to be disobedient towards God is because he hates God. And he loves it when you are disobedient because he knows it means your death. That's all he wants. Which means not only are we dead in our sins, but we're following after God's arch enemy. We are not just dead, we're enemies of God. Here's one more thing we can see. This text clarifies what it means to follow Satan. We just touched on it, but Paul is he's not saying that you follow Satan because you worship goat demons. He's saying you follow him simply by living the way the rest of the world does. Do you see that? Following the course of this world is following the prince of the power of the air. I hope that wakes you up. Thinking the same way the rest of the world thinks, 
feeling the same way that the world feels, wanting the same things the rest of the world wants, being entertained by the same things that entertain everybody else, is following him. No matter how normal it looks and feels. Because Satan wants you and everyone else to put God on the outside of your life. He doesn't care what you put in the center of your universe just as long as it's not God. If that means you have a perfectly normal life, he is completely content with that. You may say, no, 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 no. I'm not satanic. I work a job. I wake up every morning early. I work my job. I pay my bills. I take care of my family. I mean, sure, I want the same things everybody else wants. I occupy my time the same way everyone else does. I think the same things they think. That is what it means to follow him. And that's what this text shows us. As long as you don't live for God, you are following the course of this world, and that's exactly where he wants you. That's exactly where Satan wants you. Without Jesus, we're conformed to this world and to Satan. Here's the third thing we see. Without Christ, we are slaves to our sinful desires. Verses 1 through 3. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So when Paul says we all lived in the passions of our flesh, he means we lived in the desires of sin. We had cravings for sin. That's how we lived. We craved sin, and whatever our bodies and our minds wanted most, that's what we did. What he's making clear here is that our spiritual deadness and our following after Satan were willing. He's not saying you were dead in your sins and you didn't like it, and you were following after Satan against your will. He's saying you wanted it. Before Christ, we lived desiring sin which means our problem is way more serious than simply that we do sins our problem is way worse than that we don't just do sins we want them the reason we carry out sinful actions is because we want sinful things that's what paul is saying here so without jesus before when we encountered god we didn't want him. Even though he's where life and joy and fullness is found, we didn't want him. We turned away when we encountered him because we preferred sin. We wanted it more, which is our death. I mean, think about if you went to rescue somebody, they're locked away in a castle somewhere, you have to fight an army, you've got to 
slay dozens of guards to get the key and you finally get down to the dungeon and you open it up and the person inside doesn't want to get out. That's us without Jesus. We're like poisoned, starving people. What we need most is good food and drink, but whenever someone gives it to us, we gag. And we turn away and prefer to dig in the trash. If you can't escape a sinful habit or a sinful behavior, the behavior is not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is a desire problem. You want it. A person who wants to eat trash has more than a diet problem. Can we agree on that? You can fix their diet, and you should. You shouldn't eat trash. But it's not going to last for long unless their cravings change. We walked in disobedience because we wanted it. I hope you feel how severe our problem is. And this is why fixing your life up before you come to Jesus doesn't work. I mean, for one, fixing your life up doesn't get any of your sins forgiven. I mean, if I smash into your car tonight and I total it, I need to pay for your car. It doesn't do any good for me to say, well, I'm going to drive better tomorrow. See you later, paid for. We tend to think that if we just fix our life, everything we ought to pay in the past is gone, and that's foolishness. But according to this text, a bigger problem is, is that we can't change ourselves. It's not just that we need to alter our behavior a little bit. Our desires have to be transformed. Maybe you can change your behavior for a couple days, a few months, even a few years, but you can't make yourself stop loving sin. And that's your slavery. Your slavery is not that you sin and you don't want to. I mean, there may be annoying consequences, and so you'd like to be rid of those. But your slavery is that you sin, it's killing you, and you can't make yourself change the fact that you want it. That's your slavery to sin. So last week, we talked about conversion, becoming a Christian. We said conversion is when you're the center of your universe, and then all of a sudden, God becomes the center of your universe, and your whole life revolves around him. According to this passage, we could say that conversion is this. In our deadness, we hungered for the trash of sin and death more than the good food and drink of God himself. And conversion is when God comes up to you, gives you life, and for the first time you taste, he's good, he's better. That's what it means to become a Christian. When we share the gospel with people, we do not want to give the impression that Christianity is about changing your behavior. It's not. It's about being forgiven and transformed by the power of God. Here's the last thing we see about our condition from this text. 
Without Jesus, we are by nature children of wrath. Look at verse 3 again. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So when he says by nature we're children of wrath, he's emphasizing what we've already talked about. Our problem is not just that we sin. By nature, it's a deeper problem than our behavior. By nature, we are children of wrath. When he says children of wrath, what he means is that we deserve wrath just like our parents and their parents before them. Wrath is coming because of our sin. So that's what this text is telling us. We're dead in our sins. We're following the course of this world. We're following after Satan. We wanted our sin. And what's coming is wrath. God's punishment for our sin. That's what it deserves. God is so wonderful and worthy of our worship that dishonoring him is a crime of cosmic proportions. And last week we talked about Isaiah 40 and we said, this is the God who powers two billion trillion stars, each of which are exploding with two billion nuclear explosions per second. That's who our God is. He measures the universe with the span of his hand. And he shows his goodness by condescending to people like us who are infinitely below him. So when we despise him, we're despising everything that is good and worthy and right. And because he is of infinite worth of being adored, rejecting him is infinitely worthy of punishment. That's the logic. Because he is infinitely worthy of being adored, rejecting him is infinitely worthy of punishment. And that's what hell is. You may say, well, I haven't sinned for an infinite amount of time. Why would God send me to infinite punishment? The issue is not how long you've sinned. The issue is how greatly you've sinned. Hell is just a mirror image of the worth of God and our rejection of it. It's infinite punishment for dishonoring infinite greatness. And if it feels like an overreaction to you, if that feels like an overreaction, you've yet to see just how precious God really is. We were by nature children of wrath. That's what's coming for those who have sinned. This sermon is the bad news. Good example for us. Our problem was that we didn't have a good example. Jesus came to be a good example. If that's what you think the gospel is, you've missed. If you think Jesus came to make us more successful because somehow we'd lost our way and gotten in bad trouble, you miss. If you think that the gospel is that Jesus has come to make society better, because we've lost our way. You miss. Now Jesus in his gospel has something to say about all those things, but those are not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus forgives sins. He pays debt. 
towards the wrath that was coming our way, and he brings us to God. That's the gospel. And we've got to be clear on what the bad news is. We're going to see in the next two weeks, we get, to, we get to go to the good news in the next couple of weeks. But it's only good news if you get the bad news first. That's why this step is so important. So God, man, Christ response. We start with God. As you share it, as you think about it for yourself, we need to be clear that God made and sustains all things. He's the most desirable thing in all the universe. He's worthy of all our love and all our worship. And we are accountable to him. And that's where the bad news comes in. Because mankind has rejected him and we're cut off from all his life and all his goodness and we will someday face his wrath. We can't save ourselves. We can't get a sin forgiven. But God can through Jesus. And that's what we're going to see next week. Here's just a final exhortation. Don't be afraid to share the bad news. When we get to this point of sharing the gospel, we think, yeah, everybody's fine when I talk about God as big and awesome and great and creator. But once you start talking about our problem, you might feel a little timid because people might not like to hear it. But if you're not clear on what our problem is, then you'll never be able to fully embrace how great Jesus Christ is. I hope you don't hold the bad news back from yourself either. What we ought to do is we ought to name our sin for what it is. Own it 100%. Not hold it at arm's length and go to Jesus with it. That's how you enjoy him. And that's my final encouragement to you. Don't be afraid to tell people the bad news before we get to the good news. Let's pray. Father, Our sins, they are many, not just many, they are infinitely great. But your mercy is more. (laughs) It is infinite in its worth. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would embrace the bad news and take it to you so that we might, like a trampoline, press down, down, down so that we are launched up into glory. Help us as we sing now. I pray that you would use this series to help us to share the good news so that many would be saved in this city. Help us now as we sing. It's in the precious name of Jesus, our redemption, we pray. Amen.